Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Okay, here we are. We're doing this. I have been meaning to do this episode for years now. Hasn't happened for whatever reason. I didn't even plan on doing it right now. I sat down to edit some pictures of my new t-shirt campaign and thought, why not? Why not just go for it? Why not just knock it out? So you might be just as surprised as I am as what comes out of my mouth. I'm not sure I haven't prepared anything. I mean, I've thought about it and turned it over in my mind, but no prepared remarks. This is me in real time, off the cuff. So here we go. This is the faith episode. In this episode, I'm going to share my faith journey. It's continuing as I'm sure yours is too, as is all of ours, right? Even if you're religious and committed to a certain faith or religion or belief system, I hope it's evolving. We're evolving as people. And I hope that your journey reflects that. Even if you stay with the same religion, you're evolving as a human, whether you intend to or not. You just are. And things happen to us that might disrupt our outlook. Things happen to us that might shake us upside down and just rock our world and disorient us. So that happens. And just life can come at you and just make you question everything somebody says or does something to you around you that makes you suddenly question everything maybe just have a sudden crisis of faith for no identifiable reason whatever your story is i think we can relate on some level that things change right and our beliefs sometimes keep pace with that sometimes not sometimes we're just going along just to go along because we're told to and we don't necessarily stop and question and I encourage you to do so not to say that you should arrive at a different conclusion after you've questioned but it's good to assess why do I believe what I believe why am I doing what I am doing and for some people choosing a certain religion is about community it's not even necessarily about those specific tenets of faith it's not necessarily about that specific religion it's because It's convenient in a good way, not that can be a bad thing too, quote unquote bad thing. But sometimes it's just about a community because that's the community that you were born into or that you chose or that you've established. And if you have kids, that counts for a lot, right? If you don't have kids, that counts for a lot. Connection, belonging, all of that can play into it and factor in. So I'll share mine. And then we can talk about some thoughts that have been on my mind about faith. And what a what a deep topic, right? So much to talk about here. Okay, so me. I was born to parents. One was raised Mormon, LDS, Latter-day Saint, and one wasn't. So my dad 
was raised as, as a Latter-day Saint, as a Mormon in Idaho, and my mom is from Nevada. She's a transplant, and she was raised Catholic. She went to Catholic school. Her, my grandparents, they weren't religious, per se, but, I mean, it, it factored in. It was what they leaned into on all the milestones in life, you know, like baptism when she was a baby, weddings, all of that. I think they did attend church here and there, but wasn't big in their lives. And so when my mom came here, she just got to say she's an angel. So she's a very open-minded person. She's a very live and let live kind of person. She's the kind of parent who supports you in whatever you choose. So that was her approach. And thank goodness for that, because that really set the foundation and really shaped who we were and shaped our relationship with her and with my dad too because because of that we always felt that we could go to them with whatever so setting the stage that's the kind of parenting situation that I was brought into and my paternal grandparents were very not prominent but the LDS religion was big in their lives and it was very important to them and I remember my grandma really pushing that Growing up, so she babysat me and when I was little, and I remember that being a focal point. I remember her emphasizing that, and she bought these videos, this video set that had all these primary children songs, so religious songs, and I remember singing them. So my cousin would um, was babysat with me at my grandparents, and so we would act out these songs, and I remember it just being very important and big in our lives. So I didn't get that at home, but I got that at my grandparents and would go to church with them. And so for all intents and purposes, I was kind of living that lifestyle and I was familiar with it just from the jump, but I wasn't baptized because I wasn't religious at home. And growing up in a, an LDS community, it played a very prominent role. And I remember just getting that message loud and clearly from day one that this is important if you want to fit in this is what you need to do this is the accepted religion and I remember one of my earliest core memories is getting off the bus I think it was second grade and every day I won't name her but I had a friend and every day I would get off that bus and she would ask if I was baptized yet and when I tell her no she'd have this very disappointed look on her face and I just knew that was very important to her that was very important not just to her, but also just at large, the, the community at large. And I wasn't ever bullied, but just you just feel the social pressure, this implicit and explicit pressure to, to fit in. And fitting in meant joining the church. And so I would go to church again with my grandparents and here and there, but wasn't, I wasn't ever, I wasn't baptized eight, which is what, uh, they advocate for, which is pretty much how they do it in the church. That's when you're eight years old, you make, the child is supposed to make a decision. And I have my thoughts on this too. Child is supposed to make a decision if they want to join the church or not. By joining the church, that means getting baptized. And I want to preface this whole thing. I should have said this at the beginning, but I'm going to choose my words carefully. I will speak authentically and openly, but also I will try to be very aware of my words because I don't want to alienate and I don't want to, I don't want, I want everybody to feel like they can listen to this and connect on something. I don't want anybody to, I can't control how you receive this. So that being said, 
I also want to be intentional with how I present it because I want you to feel comfortable and welcomed for whatever you believe in. I don't want you to listen to this and feel like I'm slamming your faith or your way of life or your way of thinking. So I hope you feel this and I hope you feel welcomed and embraced and not like I'm trying to criticize you for how you are living your life and what you're believing in. This is, that's not my intention at all. I have my thoughts and I have my experience and experiences. And so those are important. Those are what I will share, but also you live your life and you believe in what you want to believe in. You don't need my permission to do so, but still giving it right here. So going back when I was eight, I wasn't baptized, but eventually I ended up getting baptized at 13. I think there were a couple of rounds of missionaries that would come by the house through the years as a child. And when I was 13, that's that was the tipping point for me. That's when I decided I was going to go for it. And yes, going to get baptized. And I just remember, I remember feeling, okay, yes, I'm making the right decision because this is what the social cues are telling me. This is the right decision. I'm not going to say I never felt the spirit, so to speak. And that's the Holy Ghost. That's when you feel the spirit, the presence. That's when you, I'm trying to think of how to, if you're listening to this and you're, you're LDS, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. But feeling the spirit and feeling the presence of God and feeling that Holy Ghost. I mean, I guess that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, that lets you know that you are on the right path. You're doing what you should be doing. You're thinking what you should be thinking. You're tuned into the truth, the divine, the gospel, all of that. I did feel that here and there, but also I I did feel a lot of pressure to choose that. And I just remember being struck by how often we would get missionaries, no matter how often, no matter how often we didn't choose that way of living, still they would come by over and over and over again. And I remember a part of me thinking I didn't really have the framework for analyzing this quite yet, but just thinking, why can't we just live our lives? And missionary work, that's a hot topic if I want, I've wanted to raise on social media and ask your guys' opinion on it. Because missionary work, I will speak very carefully here, I think it can be problematic. I think it can be good, especially if you have a message that you want to share with the world. I understand that. And I understand how do you raise awareness by going forth and teaching it to people and bringing them in. And if you have a message that you want, that you want to share, you are doing this because you want to bring others up and you want to lift them up. And it's not necessarily because you're wanting to dominate, that you're wanting to tell them how to live their lives. It's because you believe so fervently in what you believe in and you want to bring others to, to the light. I understand that. I get that. On the other side of that is also... There are some colonial undertones and overtones with that and just some uh, superiority tones where you think that your way of thinking or living or doing things is better than others. And so this especially comes into play when you have the persistence that you see with some missionaries. And this isn't just in the LDS faith. This is like Christian missionaries and other kinds of missionaries. This is, as a whole, generally speaking when you don't accept and appreciate that others can believe as fervently in their own faith and or if they are not religious, accepting that, 
and understanding that people can be spiritual and that's acceptable too. And that's a beautiful way of living and it's not necessarily inferior to your way of living. And I have a problem with people telling me how to live my life. I don't like bossy people telling me how to live my life. I want to be able to choose. And I think it's good to be open to other ways because who's to say if missionary knocked on my door and maybe they had a missing piece? I don't think so, but it could be. I am a, you, if you know me, you know that I am a big believer in being open-minded and open-hearted. But also, I don't like when they override that or they transcend that and it goes to, well, and they're very like persistent and pushy and no, 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 no. This is the right way of living. This is the only right way of living. And that's, that's a tricky topic too, right? Because faith, faith requires faith. Faith requires loyalty to that faith. Faith requires believing that that's the right way. And so how do you, and this is a topic or a question that I want to raise more towards the end of this, but I'll say it here now. Where does it become close-mindedness? And where does it become like faith with open-mindedness? Like where does faith become close-mindedness? Is faith close-minded? Being close-minded? I listened to a fantastic podcast episode with Brene Brown and this religious leader, and I will post it in the show notes. And so he is, I can't remember what his title is as far as if he's a pastor or minister, And what a beautiful human being he is, though, just how open and humble and gracious he is and understanding. And he's not condescending. He doesn't think he has it all figured out. He openly admits he doesn't have it all figured out. And he's very emphatic about how faith can get into that territory of closed mindedness, because if you are faithful, you think that you, mm, this is hard to talk about. Thank you for listening. You might think that you have all of the answers. And again, that's, that's the nature of faith, right? But how, how do you also stay open-minded and stay open-minded like, oh, well, maybe, maybe there is another way of thinking about this that I should remain open to. And that's really hard. And I understand what that's asking of you, especially if you are a devout believer, I had a really good conversation about this with surprisingly my boss at work. And it was, I mean, very, it was on the up and up. Um, I'm really, I'm not religious. He is. And we talked about this and I just appreciated his open-mindedness. I appreciated his willingness to consider, well, maybe they don't have it all figured out and leaving space for that, leaving space for other answers And just the openness, his openness in talking about it, his openness in thinking about it. Gosh, I appreciate people who are open. It can be hard. And I, I really appreciate that. Okay, so we took a little detour. We're going back to when I was 13 and I got baptized. I appreciate, speaking of appreciation, I appreciate my mother letting me make my choices. That, I gotta say, that over the years, over and over and over, still to this day, that has struck me. My appreciation for her and my dad too. But I'm speaking especially my mom because she came into this bubble from Nevada. And this is a bubble. And if you're a transplant here and you're not from here, you're not LDS, you can attest to it being the bubble. It is. It is. 
with the LDS mindset and community and way of life and this pressure that you feel and you know if you're not fitting in and it can be very hard to take and I've had many a friend who were transplants who have moved here and it's been very hard for them and that's like the number one comment it's it's hard to live in this bubble of a community and it's so insulated and there's just there can be such a closed-minded way of thinking and being and you feel pressured to act a certain way to do a certain thing you feel pressured to keep up with the joneses in in your in the lds faith um optics are very important how it looks to others if you look like you're pious if you're following the word of wisdom if you look like you're towing the religious line in the church all as well doesn't even necessarily matter if that's how it is in reality it matters how it looks and that is very important to a lot of people i have grace because i can understand we are biologically wired evolutionarily wired to need to fit in and to belong if we didn't back in the day we were dead so in group versus out group we needed to belong to the in group for our survival i understand that i get it and it's also perpetuated and passed on and I understand that, so I don't condemn people, but it can it can do a lot of damage. So I really appreciated my mom letting us make our own decisions, and then later on I can understand and appreciate just how hard that was for her, especially how conflicted she felt about the church and how I feel about it now. I Okay, so I'm going to usually don't hold any punches i am going to hold some here because again i i want people to feel i will be i will be honest but i also think that there is a way to to kind of speak about this so it doesn't alienate people i am sharing what i think but also i don't need to i don't need to just blab it all if that makes sense um so anyways, I'm really, I'm really appreciative of my mom and all that she did for me and letting me live my own life because I would look at certain friends and their parents and the things that they would say if they wanted to get a second hole in their ear and the moms would just, would criticize and some of the, their criticisms and what they would say just kind of hurt my feelings and it was for my friend and I just couldn't imagine my mom speaking to me that way or I couldn't imagine my mom openly criticizing like what I was wearing and I was I was very modest because I was baptized when I was 13 and then I continued in the church up until then but just the things that some of these parents would say to their kids or just the open conditionality that they would present they would be like okay so like you either do this and this and this and toe this line or you're ostracized you're done we're cutting you off or I had friends who were gay or not even friends, but people that I grew up with who came out gay or were closeted because they didn't dare come out. And my heart would break and my heart still breaks watching their family cut them off. Just how, I have a really hard time with that. I understand the fear. It's pure, it's fear that is driving these parents to cut off their kids. It's, oh, there's so much fear there for, for themselves, fear for, others there's so much that is driving all of that and again I have compassion for it but it still it still breaks my heart and I cannot imagine my parents conditionalizing their love for me conditionalizing their acceptance of me I 
that how would you not just be wrecked I have so much respect for people who soldier on and continue on in spite of that I mean what else well there are things that you can do you can end your life and that's happened to people but so much respect for for people that's not to d diminish I understand because I know that that can be problematic phrasing it like that because what else do you do like you don't have a you can't control your family's reaction to you or your friend's reaction to you. So anyways, let's just say that I just have so much love and compassion for, and respect for the people who haven't been accepted by their loved ones. And I'm so grateful for my family for loving me for no matter what. Um, so baptized at 13, grew up in the church, um, went to seminary. And so that was seminary is when, um, it's like an extra hour in your day. Like it's a release at school where you can like go across the street and there's a, um, an hour of religious study. And so like you're studying the scriptures, you're studying religious concepts. It's um, in the LDS religion. And so I did that all through junior high and high school and fully intended on getting married in the temple. I was straight on that track and I was a very by the book kind of girl and in a lot of ways, that was good. I mean, it kept me out of trouble. It kept me focused. It gave me structure. It gave me community. I have a lot of good memories from my years um, being LDS and a lot of fond memories, a lot of good memories, a lot of, there are some not so great memories. There are some painful memories, some memories that haven't hit me until later in recognizing how problematic they were and tracing current issues to those past memories and what went on in the church. So, I mean, I guess just with life, it was just a mixed bag and some good, some bad, some indifferent, all mixed up in their people. I mean, as you might have heard, a common phrase is, the religion is perfect, the people aren't. And I know that can be, that's a debate topic, but people are complicated people are messy people are imperfect and people are who run religions and so that's important to remember so fast forward to let's say 19 so I graduated high school I was going to college and I was still very active in the church uh, very intent on going the distance getting married in the temple I would go to church every Sunday. I was a Relief Society teacher. I loved teaching Relief Society. I loved it. That was like the women's um, portion. I loved, I really enjoyed, um, oh, I'm trying to be a little careful with my wording. I, I liked, I liked being in that community. Again, like there were some problematic aspects to it, but overall I was having an okay ride of it. And I was 19 and decided to go on a girl's trip with my cousin and my sister. And on that trip, I ended up getting my nose pierced. And if you're familiar with the LDS religion, you know that's a no-no. You're not supposed to have anything beyond one piercing in each ear. So like one hole in each ear. And so nose ring was a definite taboo, definite no-no. And I decided I wanted that nose ring. I decided it in no way reflected who I was as a person. It didn't change my character. It didn't change 
if as a quote good or bad person unquote I don't believe in good or bad people I believe there are people who do good and bad things different topic so I came home and I decided I knew I would get blowback for that I knew that wasn't accepted in the church and it's it's remarkable to me thinking back on that just how easy and how sudden that realization came to me and how decisive I was about it because overall I'm not a very decisive person at all and usually I'd wrestle with it and go back and forth but it was such a clean break for me it was such an easy decision for me and I decided right away after that many years I just it was so easy for me to step away and just even talking about it right now it's just striking me more how remarkable that was that I was so able to just step away that easily. And so I contacted the people, the appropriate people, and said, hey, you can relieve me of my duties. I will not be coming back. I won't be teaching a life society. Please find a replacement. I'm done. So they didn't say anything then on the phone. That's not, that's not usually how it's done. They didn't say, are you sure? You need to like think about this. They just, okay, okay. And so instead, they sent the missionaries after me and people from the ward, people from that church section that I attended, and they sent them once and they sent them to try to, you know, just get a feel for, try to like pull me back into the fold, try to nudge me back into my place, try to right that wrong. And so I was gracious and I was polite and I was nice and let them know I was pretty definite. I was definite, not pretty definite. I was definite about my choice. I had no second thoughts. I was not going to come back. They're like, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. They didn't take no for an answer. So they were back the next week. And I had been down this road so many times all growing up. I had watched them come after my mom still, still to this day, 30, 35 years later, more than that. Because I'm 35, they are still pursuing my mom. They are still trying to get her to come to church. And I have an issue with that. She has she is a nice, nice, polite person, but she's also very definite in what she wants and what she believes. And so she has nicely told them. And she she's been so much more patient with them than I am on her behalf. Because it's like she has made it clear where she stands on this. And for you to ignore that, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. You wouldn't, I, okay, going back to the second visit from the missionaries from my ward. So they came back and I was like, okay, I'm just going to nip this in the bud. I'm just going to save us all some time, some effort, some energy, some heartache. Listen, and I was very nice about it. And I remember exactly where I was. And I remember their expressions when I said it. And we were, they didn't even come in. I was like, let's just not waste any more time with this. So they were standing on my front porch and I was like, listen, I see that you came. I, I can recognize the effort. Thank you. Also, I have made my decision. I ask you to respect my decision because I respect yours. I am not asking you to leave the church. I am only leaving the church on my own. So just as I respect your decision to stay in the church, I'm asking you to respect my decision to leave it. And 
I will speak a little generally here. Straight, direct talk isn't necessarily the norm in this community and in the religious community too. And so for me to speak directly like that threw them off a little bit and their faces registered that and they (laughs) were not expecting it. I could tell from their expressions. I mean, I guess I shouldn't speak for them, but from what their faces were telling me, but that did it. And they never came back after that. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that they did honor what I had asked, but that's just how easy it can be if we would just speak straight to each other and just speak directly to each other and respect each other's decisions and not think that we have it all figured out and that we need to tell each other how to live our lives. So I read, because I tried to expand my horizons, I read Sean Hannity's book and he is a very prominent Republican, very prominent Republican, very vocal Republican on Fox News. And I won't get into the politics of it, but I will get into his repeated comments on religious freedom. And so he kept advocating for religious freedom, religious freedom. We should be able to essentially introduce the Bible back in, introduce like religion back into our way of governing ourselves and our way of restoring like law and order and justice and all of that. But he wasn't talking about religious freedom. He That was the phrase he was using, the term he was using, but he was then it'd go on to say like Christian values, Christian values. So here's where it might make you a little uncomfortable, but think about if you're religious or if you're not religious, think about how this is if you feel very strongly about your beliefs, whether you're religious or just spiritual, whatever. If you're pretty strong in your beliefs, it's important to entertain the thought that there are other people who are just as strong, if not stronger in their own beliefs. There are Muslims who are very devout, dedicated Muslims. There are people of, there are Sikhs, there are people of all faiths who are very devoted followers of that faith. And so if you want the space and the freedom to exercise your beliefs and your religion and practice your religion, don't you think that that means that they should have theirs too? So religious freedom doesn't mean your freedom to practice your religion at the alienation of all others. That's not what it means, Sean Hannity. It means that everybody has space. And to make space, that means we don't have a dominant religion. So again, this isn't into getting into Republicans versus Democrats versus liberals versus conservatives. It's not what it's about at all. What I'm talking about right now, I'm talking about freedom to be you. And that means that you got to relinquish your chokehold on the quote-unquote truth and just allow others to live theirs. If there's this cult that is propagating, uh, like, murdering lambs or murdering, I shouldn't say lambs, but murdering, like, little children, that's problematic. That's not, (laughs) you know, there should be some regulation there. We don't want them to be able to do that. But if it's a religion like Islam, if you want to be able to do what you want to do on the religion, uh, spirituality front, then they should be able to do it on their end too. And it gets really dicey. 
And so let's get into another dicey topic and some of the realizations that I have had after leaving the church. And I will be honest with you, as I have been this whole time, I have never looked back. I'm very grateful I left the church. I feel better than ever. There has not been one second I have regretted it. If you are still in the church, I have some of my best friends are strong in the church. And I love them dearly. Some of the people I respect the most who have the most beautiful, open, loving, accepting hearts are strong LDS members. And so this isn't about a religious thing. I mean, that's just a lifestyle way of life. And I, I appreciate I appreciate them. And I'm so grateful for them and all that they do for me and what good friends they are to me and just what good inspirations they are to me. But for me personally, organized religion just doesn't do it for me. And it's interesting because so my dad, he ended up leaving the church too. He hung on for a little while after my sister and I left. My sister left shortly after I did or about the same time. I guess we just didn't go back. And talking with my dad like a couple of years ago, he is firmly where I am now. He is, well, I mean, I guess even like more so he's, he surpassed me and he's not necessarily a fan of organized religion <laughs> to put it in mild terms. And just, I'm so appreciative of the conversations that he and I have had. And again, I hit the jackpot with my parents as far as like their openness and their acceptance of me. And I'm able to speak openly with them and they don't conditionalize their love. It's not like I need to be a perfect little Mormon girl and do all the things. And that's the only way that I will get their love and approval and acceptance. No, they have supported me no matter what I have chosen. And that is just invaluable. That's crucial. I'm so grateful for that. And talking with him now and talking about, okay, let's get right into it. Talking about the patriarchy of certain religions. I won't single any out because there are many, especially the prominent ones where patriarchy reigns. They're patriarchal religions. And please don't check out by hearing that word. This isn't a man bashing moment. Not at all. Not at all. And I, that gets, feminism gets such a bad rap. Feminism isn't saying that that men are bad and women are better than men. That's that's not what it is. That's not what it is at all. If that's what you think feminism is, we need to talk. Please, please open up your mind because that's not what feminism is at all. It's just saying, hey, we're all humans. Men aren't any better than women. We're different. We're different. So it's not like we're equal because we're not the same, but we're, we deserve like equity quality and equity. So we deserve the same opportunities, the same chances. But in a lot of religions, that's not how it is. And I struggled with that even growing up again, not really having the language. And sometimes I did. I, I struggled that men were the only ones who could hold the priesthood. I struggled that it was all at the mercy of men. The decisions were at the mercy of men. The men were prioritized even down to the boys got to do the fun activities and the girls' activities were centered on, and this isn't to diminish, like, 
I know some women and homemaking is their absolute light of life. They, they love it. They truly genuinely love it. But I don't like that that was the blanket subscription for all of the females, for all of the girls. It didn't hold space for different kinds of girls and different interests. And maybe some of the girls wanted to go rub dirt on their faces and they wanted to go do really fun things and they didn't have those opportunities. The I am spacing on some of the examples of the activities that the boys got to do that the girls didn't because the girls were learning how to sew and the girls were learning how to be good homemakers. And great, but that doesn't leave space for the girls who don't want to grow up to be mothers. It doesn't leave space for the people who don't feel fulfilled in that lifestyle and way of life. And everything was just so prioritized for the boys. Again, I didn't feel feel like I truly belonged to the religion because I was a woman, because I wasn't able to hold any sacred callings per se. And yes, it can be argued that being a woman, being a mother is a very sacred, if not the most sacred calling not in the church. It's not an official calling in the church. And everything was subjected to the men's approval. The leadership, all men. And that doesn't even get into the race aspect of it. And again, I wasn't a disruptor growing up. I didn't ask questions usually, but I remember, I, I don't know if I did or someone else did. I think I did. I wondered about them not letting blacks in and then they they eventually did but not at first and to that to me it felt like they did that when it was politically expedient for them and there was some pressure and again I know that that can be very off-putting for any listeners who are LDS so if you're LDS I'm wanting to have an open discussion about this. I would love to reach out. I mean, I would love if you reached out and we could talk about this. But there are some things that just didn't sit well with me growing up. And the older I got, the less well they sat. And especially now, I really have a hard time with some of that in homosexuality. I have a hard time with that. Homosexuality is natural. I'm not. I'm straight. So lucky for me because that made life a lot easier for me. But you have homosexuality in penguins and dolphins. You have homosexuality in animals, in nature. I I don't want to, to get this too inflammatory. I just, there, there are some things that I've really struggled with. And... Once I left the church, it just kind of felt like a load off. I was free to live how I wanted to live. I was raised, raised to be an honest person, a kind person, a considerate person, a generous person, a giving person, a thoughtful person. Not that I always am. That's how I was. <laughs> but I was raised to be that way. I mean, I still have my own imperfections and insecurities and issues that I have to work through. But my mom she's a very exceptionally kind, thoughtful, generous person. And I just didn't like the thought of her not going to the celestial kingdom. So in the LDS religion, you have like different kingdoms. So based on like 
how devout of a follower you are. So if you're like on the up and up doing all that you're supposed to do, you're going to the top, the celestial kingdom. It's going to be good for you. If you're not, if you're like almost there, I think that's the telestial. And then under that is the terrestrial. Below that, forget about it. <laughs> it's not looking good for you. And I didn't like that my mom, who was one of the best people that I knew, wouldn't make it to the celestial kingdom just because she wasn't baptized. I didn't like that. It didn't make sense to me. And another thing that I have really struggled with, and I say struggle, well, I should say struggle, uh, present tense, that I didn't realize. Ironically, I didn't realize until I had reached out, I think it was like two years ago or last year or something, where I did like a hot topic or something and I posted like a question on Instagram and it wasn't even, oh, it was about dress code. I think it was a Hot Topic Thursday question and it was about the dress code about um, the double standard. So how, especially like in this area, um, in this community, you have double standards on dress codes. So girls will have certain standards for dress codes and like they just absolutely cannot wear spaghetti straps or short shorts. And again, this isn't to take a side on that, but you just have to recognize that there is a double standard because boys don't have to wear shirts and boys, I mean, a lot of the justification is, oh, well, we don't want to distract the boys or, you know, we just have to tread lightly around the boys because they, we don't want them to act on those desires that they have and they're just so hormonal and they can't control themselves. So you need to control yourself. Mm. That's problematic. But anyways, I had asked a question about people's thoughts soliciting input on the dress code. And so people um, weighed in and it wasn't until I had people pointing out that it was because that they brought up some um, points of like body shaming that they felt. And a lot of it was because of religion and specifically because of the LDS religion. And I hadn't even made that connection in myself because then they like really like got deep with it about how that has carried over and it impacted their views on their bodies and how comfortable they feel showing their bodies and their relationship to their bodies, most importantly. So this these aren't people who are bearing all, and even if they are, good for them, but these aren't people who are walking around in a tube top and a mini skirt. This just is, they were able to source their body discomfort and their poor self-image and poor relationship to their own bodies to the religious experiences and some of the comments that religious leaders had said to them or their parents had said to them in the framework of religion, in the framework of the LDS religion more specifically. And it wasn't until they had brought that up that it just hit me in the gut and it just felt like a kick to the gut. Oh my gosh. Yes, I see that in myself. I see, and that's not, I'm not attributing all of my body issues to that, but a lot I can see and just having a hard time owning my sexuality and even talking about that, it still feels weird. They're still like, this like, whenever I even say that, because it still feels uncomfortable to even say that. Like, I'm a 35 year old woman. I am almost 36. And I feel uncomfortable talking about my sexuality. Does that sound normal? And normal, I shouldn't, I don't like the word normal because that's so like relative and subjective, I guess, just by the definition of it is. But I mean, normal, abnormal, weird, all of that. But I should say that isn't how it should be. 
procreating and sex is the most basic universal experience. That's how we're all here. We all realize, right? I mean, yes, we have like the IVF and the, all of that, but our bodies, we all have a body. Maybe some are missing certain parts and they look differently and all of that. They look different and all of that, but we shouldn't feel shame about our bodies. That's us. That's our core, our literal core. And yet, because of religion, I have come to feel shame about my body and shame about how I present it to the world and how I feel about it. And shame growing up, especially like this is where like my hot topic question came in and sex education came in. Oh, I think that was maybe the question that I had asked about sex education. No, I'd asked, I have asked a lot of questions in my days. Um, I'd asked about the dress code and sex education and how it differs for boys versus girls. So girls were told, I was told, I won't say that everybody is told, but the people I know and many still, I know it's how it is now too. We're separated. Girls and boys are separated. And then a girls get a very different talk. We're taught all about the boys and we're taught about how we need to accommodate their hormones and how we need to make it easy for them because they can't control themselves and so we need to be careful how we dress be careful how we act we can't tempt them we can't be temptresses the responsibility was very clearly communicated that it was solely on our shoulders boys will be boys they were off the hook and this was in school this this is both in school and in church that we got this message that we were responsible for keeping things as they should be. The boys got a free pass. They got to do whatever they got to do. And if they slipped up, it's, oh, it's just so hard controlling all those hormones. They can't be expected to control that. We learned about boys' pleasure. We learned about, well, not necessarily learned how to pleasure them in elementary, but we learned about their anatomy from how it was when I went through it and from what I've heard now still it's not a lot of emphasis on female anatomy and the boys portion of it. I mean, a lot of them don't even realize that <laughs> women feel pleasure. I mean, as radical, as preposterous as that sounds, that's still, I mean, it's, it's so focused on the men's pleasure. And just like continuing on this, growing up in my own experiences, it was all, if the man didn't want to wear the condom because it was uncomfortable, he wouldn't wear the condom or he'd feel entitled to not have to or he'd feel pretty justified and strong in his argument against why he shouldn't because it just wasn't as pleasurable for him. Well, do you think it's pleasurable to get our periods every month? Do they realize what that's like? Do you think it's pleasurable just the be, to be completely whacked out out of your mind on birth control? The, the physical uh, symptoms, the side effects that emotional side effects, all of that, they are horrific. They're awful. I stopped taking a long time ago because A, I've, I'd heard a long time ago that it affects your fertility. B, I was sick of putting a substance in my body that I didn't want in my body. And C, why do I? Why, why don't guys have to take any of that responsibility? And again, this isn't man-hating. I love men. I love, 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 love men. But I, I also am done with the disproportionate responsibility and workload. It's once you start to think about it and really think 
and dig into it, you can kind of start to see the, not the inconsistencies, but what's that word, how unfair it is. And just the older I've gotten, the more I've realized, okay, that's not awesome. That's not great. I'm not really on board with that. And that's happened more and more. Just, I didn't like growing up that we had to have purity talks with our bishops. And luckily I had nothing to report. I am telling you, I was so straight laced growing up. I was such a goody goody. So I didn't have anything to report, but I, I think I don't like that. I'm telling you again, if you're LDS, I'm sorry if this is offensive to you. I'm, I'm sharing my experience to you with you. I just, it rubbed me the wrong way and I've seen the damaging effects later on to feel like I have to get an older man's approval. Again, it's, I feel it's none of his business what I am doing in a bedroom, in a darkened car, when I'm 16, when I'm whatever, however old I am. It's my parents' business when I'm a kid to an extent, but it's, that's my relation, relationship with God. And I just, I, I think that that can be very damaging. And I've seen it, I've seen it myself. I've seen it in friends and just, I won't get into all of the points about some of the issues that I have with that certain religion. And I'm speaking to that certain religion because that is my experience. I wasn't ever baptized Catholic or anything else, but I've just seen, and I only ra raise those because I've just, I can speak to the damage that I've seen later on in life with my relationship to myself and others. And I just, I just have seen how it's affected me and I just urge us all to to really be intentional about what we think and what we believe and what we do and dissect it, get uncomfortable and think about why you're doing what you're doing. If after that dissection again, like I said earlier, if you still feel good about it, awesome. That's what matters. It doesn't matter whether I am living that lifestyle and I think it's great or not. It's how you feel about it. That's that's the important part. It's your relationship to your source, to your God, to your, or lack thereof, to your environment, whatever. However you feel about your lifestyle and how you're living your life, that's what matters. And that is a common thread throughout this all is I lost sight of that. I didn't realize that when I was younger. And then I've really reclaimed that. I shouldn't say reclaim because I didn't claim it when I was younger, but I've really embraced that and, and stepped into that. Just that knowledge that what matters most is my relationship to whatever I have going on and how I feel about it and not what others think about it and how pressured I feel. That's not what matters. And gosh, this is such a hard topic and it hits, it's so hard too and it gets so politically nasty and messy too because religion affects it's not just the speed limit it's not just how high taxes should be religion is religion that's why it's so hard to talk about with people because religion speaks to how you think everybody or how life should look how life is it is so fundamental it is such a fundamental part of a person and their outlook and their view, whether it's spirituality or religion or whatever it is, because that is 
how you are moving through the world, how you are existing in the world, how you are viewing the world. And so if you have someone who is religious and they they think that that's like the the true religion, let's say that you have somebody, maybe you are that person and this you are on this straight path, you have found the truth and you so fully and strongly believe in this. And yes, you may appreciate that others have different lifestyles and different ways of living, but even still at the core of that, you're still like, yes, but but I'm on to the truth. I'm on to the truth. And this is, I mean, I'll, I'll indulge them and entertain, you know, that there are different ways of living life. But still, like, I got to tell you, like, at the end of the day, like, I, this is how it is. I feel this. I feel a spirit. I feel it so strongly. And so that's not a policy matter. That's not just a difference of policy opinion. That's, that's core. That's fundamental. And so how do you reconcile someone who believes just as strongly in their different religion? And then you can see where we have the religious wars and you can see, and then you have people in the mix who aren't so pure of thought and they're manipulating and they're leveraging religion and they're using it to control people and to control things for their gain, whether it's monetary gain, power gain, whatever gain it is. And you can see how things get really messy and complicated and dangerous and destructive. And what a what a nice thought. <laughs> but gosh, it's just, it's so hard, right? And so, like I said, I would come back to this question. I'm coming back to this question. When is it faith and when is it closed-mindedness? And I'll let you sit with that for a second because I really want you to turn that over in your mind and ponder it. Search, ponder, and pray. <laughs> One of the catchphrases I remember. But really, I want you to think about it. When is it closed-mindedness and when is it faith? And this extends to not just religious faith, but faith in an ideal and a concept. Faith in, let's say that you have a fitness regimen that you're working on. Or you have a business strategy that you've committed to. And you got to commit to it, right? When is it faith? And when is it closed-mindedness? And I read Curiosity is big for me, and I wanted to do a podcast episode on it because I am a big believer in curiosity, even before I read this book. But then I did read this book that just kind of laid out the whole time. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. But in it, Brian Grazer wrote it. He's a movie producer, really successful, accomplished movie producer. And he talked about how curiosity is what drives him. And so that's what the whole book was about. But then he also pointed out where he had to stifle curiosity at some point when he is pitching an idea and he believes so wholeheartedly in an an idea and he doesn't want to hear how others think it won't work or if others think it's a bad idea. And that's kind of the same with faith, right? So you got to believe in it. Because having faith, but then not having faith and thinking other things are just as or more true than this, maybe isn't necessarily faith, right? But then there's that balance between having faith and believing in it, but then still being open. So there's that balance. And I've said over and over and over again, balance is the key to life. And I think it's very important, whether it's curiosity or whether it's faith, can still commit to something 
but still leave a crack open for maybe another idea or another way of doing or being or thinking and not shutting yourself off. Don't do yourself a disservice. Open yourself, keep yourself open and keep open minds, open hearts, open eyes. Open eyes is important too because don't ignore the red flags or don't ignore the things that are problematic that maybe you don't like or maybe don't fit in. And your spirituality and your relationship to your God, if you believe in God or goddess or whatever, whatever your journey is, that is up to you. And it, I have low patience for people who feel the need to regulate others, feel the need to tell them that how they're living is wrong. And if they're cherry picking certain aspects of a religion, let's say that they show up to church on Sunday, but they still drink every now and then, or they don't wear their garments. And those are the protective underclothing that LDS members wear, if you've gone through the temple. So back off. That's, that's up to them. That's their relationship. If they're cherry picking, they get to cherry pick. I, I care more about if they're being a kind person than if they're not drinking or if they're following whatever religious edict like it matters to me what kind of a person they are and I hope it matters to you too I hope and that's what that's what should matter because everybody has their own everybody has their own journey everybody has their own journey though really and we don't know what's going on in their lives and we we shouldn't be privy to that. I mean, it's so individualistic. You get to decide for you. And a lot of times, if you feel judgmental of others, it's because you're not daring. If you drill down into it, a lot of it is you're not daring to allow yourself that own freedom. Maybe you feel like you don't have that freedom because you'll feel alienated from or ostracized from your loved ones. And you don't feel like you have that freedom. You don't grant yourself that or and or you don't feel other people grant you that freedom. And so you resent other people who are living authentically. And so you're like, well, we can't have that. We can't have them being able to do that. If I don't have that opportunity, why do they get it? And they're, and if they do have it, well, then they're going to get some heat from me and I'm going to make it harder for them because it's not fair that they have their cake and eat it too. It's not fair that they get to live freely and then with nobody giving them blowback. So I'm going to provide some of that blowback. So there's some of that. There's some of fear. You feel fearful. Like it's a condemnation on your way of life. It's a judgment on your way of life. If they're daring to diverge from your religion or your way of life. Like, oh, so they're saying that this isn't the right way or that I'm not right. And so you feel like that's a judgment on you. And so that can rouse up some anger, ignite some hard feelings. And it's hard. If you find yourself feeling judgmental or critical or resentful or angry, look into those feelings, face them, drill into them, try to figure out what they're telling you. Because if you do, you're going to have an even stronger faith in whatever that resulting faith is. An even stronger relationship with yourself and with others, you're going to be even stronger and an even better servant of the Lord, if that's important to you. I know I, I, the way I said that sounded like I was being a little sarcastic about that. I wasn't. 
like whatever you, whatever kind of person you want to be. And I assume if you're listening to this, you're kind of the kind of person who wants to be a loving, genuine, compassionate individual. If you show yourself true love, compassion, acceptance, then proportionately that's how much you're able to love and accept others. But you have to accept yourself first. The level of acceptance that you have for yourself, the level that you accept yourself is how much you're able to accept others and love others. So if you want to be like wholeheartedly loving others, you got to give it to yourself. And that comes from accepting yourself. So digging into where you feel shame. Where do you feel shame? Where do you feel like you're not good enough? Where do you feel like you're not as you should be living as you should be, whether religiously or otherwise? Dig into that. And that's how you can grow into the person that you want to be, into your highest self. And I, even just last night, I was thinking about that, man, I need to, because I've been familiar with areas that I feel shame. But really, I want to just like, tonight, I've committed to writing in my journal and just like really, there's something magic that happens when you just commit it to paper and just really like solidify it that way. So get real with yourself and going back to the open eyes, open heart, open mind. And I have more, I know at the beginning I told you that I was going to sit down and edit pictures. That's what I was going to do because I have more open eyes, open minds, open heart t-shirts by request. So thank you for wanting them. And I have more. And so all of those are important open eyes because you want to not live in denial. You want to see things clearly open heart. You want to be loving and accepting, at least be open. You don't have to accept and condone certain ways of doing or thinking, but just accept that they exist, entertain them, think about them, give them a chance and open eyes. Oh no, I said open eyes, open eyes, open hearts, open minds, be open-minded, think about things. Don't just shut yourself off to things. That's how you're able to evolve and grow and learn more and even it may even like strengthen your your faith and your justification for doing what you're doing. But that's how we learn and grow from each other. And that's how we connect to each other. So, wow. Wow. Over an hour. Thank you for listening. And I had some pauses. And you know what? I'm going to edit. I'm not going to edit them out. I'm going to leave them. I usually take a really light-handed editing approach anyways. And one of my faves, Brene Brown, does the same. She intentionally has her editors leave the pauses in because that's real life and if you're if you have ADHD like I do you can always speed it up but I will leave that to you I will leave that to you I will not control that and make that decision for you if you want to speed it up and I'm speaking too slowly speed me up but other than that I hope you take those pauses as chances to reflect and to think and I love you thank you for listening to this and I was going to say, I hope this didn't make you too uncomfortable, but kind of, I hope it did because that's where we learn. That's where we grow, right? With the refiner's fire. That's, that's where the good stuff happens. I love you. Thank you.